Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. So this week we continue into our series, I Am, um, that was so graciously uh, started off by Lucinda. Today we're obviously talking about the light of the world, right? So this is the second, the second I Am statement. We're talking about Jesus in his own words. So this is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And light has this interesting uh, dynamic about it where it can prolong life. It can prolong things that are going on around us. It can illuminate something. And so there's this, when you go and you, you kind of dive into scripture, if you just like get a Bible dictionary that, that can tell you about the theme of light, it's pages and pages and pages long from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. You see light all throughout scripture and, and it's kind of con- always contrasted against the darkness, right? And so today our, our main verse is, is John eight twelve, where Jesus Jesus plays into this exact contrast. He talks about the light and the dark, and it's this, this theme that is especially highlighted in the book of John, but really all of Scripture. He says that when Jesus began to spoke, speak again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're actually going to read on down through verse 20. So thir- verse 13 says this, Then the Pharisees challenged him, How are you appearing as your own witness? Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that a testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And they asked him, who is your father? Where is your father? Me or my father, Jesus said. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a light into our path. 
that as we navigate this life, we go all these different circumstances that surround us, that we can lean on your truth, we can lean on your word, and that you can give us the clarity that we need. And I pray this morning as I bring this message, it would be your words that would be speaking to us. Holy Spirit, you will stir our minds and stir our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first thing I want to kind of do before we really dive into it is kind of give us some context, right? So the very last verse that I read this morning kind of sets up what's going on. It tells us where they are when Jesus kind of says this, right? So it says that he spoke those words when they were in the place where the offerings were put. So if you have the temple, you got the temple courts, and they're they're actually in this, we know from earlier in the John, they're in this, this festival called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, which kind of some context, this is a little bit kind of like Woodstock, right? So they build these little huts or these little tents that are outside. So they're, they're actually sleeping outside. And there's this, this worship service where they're, they're praising God for his provision. They're having these big feasts, these parties. It's, it's a big celebration. And they're living in these booths to kind of remind them how, how God brought them and delivered them from the wilderness. And it's this festival that they have every year to kind of celebrate that. And so they get, they're on this, this last day. And it says that they're in the temple where the, um, the offering is placed. So we know because of that, they're in what's called the court of the wind. So it's kind of this place where they had all these big um, kind of boxes where you could drop offerings for different things and it would be collected from those boxes. And so they're not all the way into like the center of it, but they're significantly in. So it's like a place of significance, so it's important, but it's also accessible to everybody. So as you get further in, you know, like the Holy of Holies, there's one priest that can enter that part. So it's at this important, significant place in the temple where everybody can gather, and, and they had these big menor or these big candelabra things that they would light to, to kind of prolong the life of the party. It reminds me kind of to, to uh, give some illustration to it. I grew up, and when I would grow up, while I was growing up, I hung out with some, some guys that um, liked to partake in beverages that they weren't necessarily allowed to partake in, if you know what I mean. Dad, you can close your ears. Okay, so there was uh, one of my friends had a brother who was older than 21 who could buy such beverages, but my friend's parents wanted nothing to do with it. Like, you guys are underage. We're going to be naive. We know what's going on, but we're going to look the other way. Okay, no, I didn't drink because I had this thought that if I touched alcohol, God would smite me, and that was bad theology anyway, but we're not going to go there this morning. So, so I was kind of supervising, but we couldn't be inside because his parents didn't want to know about it. And so we had to figure out some kind of way to, to hang out and they would drink and have fun and figure out what was going on. So what we did is they had this field. So we would all park in the field kind of at the top of his driveway and we would have this party. I guess you would say there was only like six of us guys. So it wasn't like a real party, but you know, we're, we're hanging out there's um, beverages being partaken of, and then the sun kind of starts to go down. And we're like, well, what do we do? How do we, how do we keep this party going? How do we keep this excitement happening? So we would park our vehicles in, a, in like a circle, and we would all cut our headlights on, right? So that we would have this light that would prolong the life of the party. And so what's going on here is this is the last day of the party, and they would, when the, the sun would go down, they didn't want it to end. So they would light these big candles, and these, these big stands with these candles would light up the whole court. So even though it's the last day, the party isn't ending. They're going to keep on having this praise party all throughout the night. And so that's the, the context of, of Jesus standing there. So it's really this, this awesome 
picture, if you're there, think about Jesus. Is, he's using their circumstances. He's using what's going on to kind of illustrate his point. So he's standing. We don't know the exact time of day. So he could be standing up while the candles are st- still lit. And he says, I am the light of the world. And so they're there and they know, man, it's dark outside. But inside, in this area, inside the temple, we have these candles that are lighting up this whole place so that we can keep the life of the party going. And Jesus is saying, look, I am the light that drives out the darkness, that I bring forth the life that you're looking for. So Jesus is giving these words in this moment. And, or, or you know what? It could have been towards the end of it where they put the candles out. And in that moment when the light goes out, Jesus could be saying, you know what? These lights have gone out but I'm the light of the world that continues to shine. So, so we don't know the circumstances exactly, but we know where he's at. We know the context. We know that no matter what, Jesus is using these candles, this setting, to illustrate the point that he's making, right? That he is the light of the world. And through him, through that light, you can leave the darkness and you can walk in life. So, so by following the light of life, you will be delivered from the darkness of death. And that's really the whole point of this message this morning is that Jesus, the light of life, will deliver you from the darkness of death. You see it all throughout scripture, that life, that light brings life and darkness brings death. So he's in this feast of tabernacles. He gives this message that I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And as soon as he says that, the Pharisees get mad. And then there's this whole kind of dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees. And you can actually kind of, if you're just reading through the book of John or you're reading through this chapter, you can actually kind of miss the point of light here because the light is not mentioned again until chapter nine. So the rest of the chapter, the word light is not ever mentioned again. So it can, you can miss it really easily, but, but and it kind of unpacks this whole dialogue that's going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And you can see that the Pharisees are really upset. They challenge him. And Jesus has this, I actually love the book of John, because if you read it, you can kind of see this, these little gotcha moments all throughout the book, right? And if you have ever had an argument with somebody, you know the joy of a gotcha moment, right? Like, have you ever been there where like, maybe you're arguing, let's say with not your spouse, of course, but you're arguing with somebody and you kind of have formulated this thought process and then you know you're right and you know they're wrong and then they get to this point where they say something and you're like, my point is proven, right? I got you. And that is like, let's be honest, that feels really good. And so you see that all throughout the book of John. This is really neat because if you go back to chapter five, Jesus is once again in this argument with the Pharisees and he says, you know what, if I testify on my own, then my testimony is not true. So he's like, he's saying, he's agreeing with their law. If I testify on my own, then my testimony is not true. And so then he gets up and the Pharisees are kind of challenging. They're like, we got you. You're testifying that you're the light of the world, but you're only by yourself. There's nobody here as your witness. And they think they've got this gotcha moment. And then Jesus is like, no, I got you. Because see, I'm not on my own. I have the Father who sent me. And he makes this claim that he and the Father are one. And he's pointing to the Trinity. He's pointing to this idea of light throughout all of Scripture. So when you dive into this moment and you think, why did did the Pharisees get so mad? Jesus kind of sets them up. 
And he says, I am the light of the world. Me and the Father are one. He makes this I am claim that we've been talking about. This I am, going back to, to Moses in the bush, right? God said, I am. And when Jesus uses the same, this, this word, it says, I am. He's saying, I and God are one. He's claiming to be the light that is all throughout Scripture. So if we're going to really figure out why the Pharisees got so mad, we have to look at what Jesus is saying in, that, in those two sentences. You can miss it because it's just two sentences. But he, he makes this bold claim that he is the light and that he has the power to drive out darkness. So the first, what I want to kind of do is I want to break that. I want to kind of break those two things down. We have darkness and we have light. And I want to start with darkness because in our terminology, in our language, darkness can have a a lot of different meanings. And so for like, if people say, man, I've just been in a dark season, it can mean like a season of depression. It can be a season of anxiety. It could be a season of grief. And so darkness can kind of have a lot of meanings. And so when we read this text, I've heard it taught that, you know what, if, if you're not walking in darkness, you won't face those things. You won't face fear. You won't face sadness. You won't face depression. You won't face anxiety. You won't face any of those things. But when we look at darkness in the Bible, darkness in the Bible is not hardship. It's not trials. It's not grief. Darkness in scripture is always evil. It's sin and the effects of sin. So Jesus is, when he says that I will, you will not walk in darkness, he's not saying you won't have bad days. He's saying you won't walk in sin. You have the power to be delivered from that. It, it can be taught, especially in kind of the Western gospel, that if you're walking in the light, if you surrender your life to Jesus and you follow Jesus, then your bills are going to be paid. Your, the cancer is going to be gone. You won't get COVID. You don't have to, to be afraid. You don't have to have anxiety. You, don't, you won't ever be depressed. And so then people face these things and they think, well, man, God must not be real. But the truth is we live in a fallen world and sometimes life is just hard. It's not your fault. You're not walking in sin. It's just you live in a broken world. You may be in a place right now where life is just really tough. And because of this teaching where if you walk in sin, then that means you have these consequences. And then we think, man, because life is hard, because I'm sick, because I lost my parent, because of this or that, we begin to beat ourselves up. We think, man, I must have screwed up somewhere. I must have fallen short somewhere. I must have done something I shouldn't have done. But listen to me. You have to stop beating yourself up just because life is hard, because that is a lie. Sometimes life is just difficult. It's not because you're a bad spouse or you're a bad parent or you're a bad friend. You are a child of God, and sometimes that means life is hard. In fact, sometimes making the right decision means hardship. There are stories after stories, especially if you look at some of the the mess that's going on in some of the the mega churches in our time where pastors are stepping down and they're, they're losing their job because they're standing up to people who have abused authority, and they're losing their job, they don't know how they're going to provide for their family, and what their life is harder than it's ever been because they did the right thing. So just because life is hard doesn't mean you're walking in darkness like the Bible talks about. You may, you may be having a hard time. You may be in what we would call a dark season, but when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, you won't walk in darkness, he's saying you won't walk in sin. You won't walk in, not that life won't be hard. And, and we kind of have to, 
it's easy to pick on the church for preaching that, that message, that life will be good if you follow Jesus, because sometimes, let's be real, sometimes the bills aren't paid because we are walking in sin. We're spending money we don't have. We're scrolling through those ads and, and buying the one thing because it feels good even though we don't have the money. Or sometimes our, our marriage is falling apart because we've lived 11 years in bitterness because we don't want to talk about our feelings and, and communicate with and healthily communicate, right? Sometimes we lose our job because we're lazy and we sleep in and we don't go to work. There, there are times where sin creates these issues. Maybe you're anxious because you procrastinate and you're not doing the thing right now that God is asking you to do right now. Stepping on my own toes a little bit, right? <laughs> okay. So there's this, there are some times where the darkness we experience will go away by walking in obedience with Christ. So it can be a little confusing. And a lot of times, you know, as I preach and I'm teaching this, I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to to talk to you, to whisper in your ear, to stir your heart and say, you know what, maybe maybe you're not walking in sin. Life is just hard. Or maybe it is. Maybe you are walking in sin and your marriage can be healed or your finances can be healed or whatever it is by beginning to walk in light. So, so what I, I want to unpack that darkness, right? Darkness doesn't mean bad days. doesn't mean trials. It doesn't mean difficulties. It means sin, and it means evil. And so that means that Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. You don't have to sin. You don't have to give in to that. There's freedom in Jesus. So when he says, I am the light of the world. He's claiming to be God. And I think for us to understand the power of that light, so darkness, we've talked about darkness, so what about light? To understand the power of light, I think we kind of have to go kind of zoom out a little bit, right? So if we're going to zoom out, we're, right now we're like micro. We're, we're in here in the, the, this one verse in John chapter 8. But if we go out to the whole chapter of John, we talked about that a second ago, there's this theme of moving from death to life all throughout the book of John. Oh, there's also this theme of moving from darkness to light all throughout this book of John. So there's this sense of light bringing life, right? I mean, we see Jesus here heal a paralytic. We see him um, bring life to the woman at the well. We see him here heal uh, a blind man. Over and over again, we see the, this healing, this, this life from death. But if we even zoom out even a little bit more, we can go all the way back to Genesis. And this is actually really, really cool. And my first point about light is that light brings life. So if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, it says, In the beginning, the earth was formless and void. The darkness was over the surface of the deep. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So at the very beginning, we see darkness, void, and God enters in and says, Let there be life, or let there be light. And there is light. And what's really, really neat about this, go back and read Genesis chapter 1. You keep going a little bit, and it says that God created vegetation. So there's trees and plants. And this light that God said, let there be light, has brought life to the world. There's animals. There's plants. And then on day four, after there's plants, God says, God puts the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. So when we look at nature and we think, man, you know what? Sun, the sun brings life to nature and Lauren loves flowers, right? And so there was one time I got her this, this 
um, ordered her some flowers that came to the door. We, she put the like flower food in them, cut the stems, put them in the vase, all this stuff. They were really pretty. But after like one day, they began to lose their life. And I was mad. I was like, dude, I just paid a lot of money for these flowers, right? To come to the door and they're after one day, they're dead. And so we're like, what do we do? So, I mean, we watered them. We did everything we were supposed to, but the flowers were in the kitchen. And in the kitchen, there's not a lot of sunlight. So we're like, well, maybe it's that. So we moved them to the living room right next to a window. And sure enough, we got home from work the next day and the flowers were back to life, right? When we think about the sun bringing life to nature, we see that light brings life. But when we look at the, the Bible, we see that that life happened before the sun was put, put in the sky. So this, Jesus is saying that when I say I'm the light of the world, I mean, I was there in the beginning. John said it in John 1, in the beginning was the word, right? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is this life bringing light. So when you look at your life and you look at areas where maybe there's death, maybe there's destruction, maybe there's things that are falling apart, Jesus is saying, I am the light that will bring life to your life. So the first thing is light brings life. The next one is light brings healing. If we keep going from Genesis on into, uh, let's we get all the way into Malachi. Malachi 4.2, it says that the sun, S-U-N, right? The light, sun, brings righteousness, or the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Healing in its rays. And this is something I learned just by researching this. And it was really interesting. So I want to tell you about it, right? So, and when it says healing in its rays, some translations in Malachi chapter four will use wings, right? There's this sense of it being rays, wings, the fringe, the outside part of the sun, right? And that's where this healing is on the outside. Fast forward to Luke chapter eight, verse 43. You know this story. There's a woman. She's been bleeding uncontrollably. She can't stop it, so she's been considered unclean. People don't want to be around her because of the, the uh, law at the time. That she, people couldn't sit on a seat after her. They, they, she was unclean. She was dirty. She was uh, shunned, frowned upon, neglected, right? And she's, she's hurting. It even says she has spent all of her money on doctors. They can't fix her. They can't heal her. And so she, she hears that Jesus is coming through the town, right? And so she starts fighting through the crowds of people and she's pushing her way through, hoping that, that nobody will see her, right? She goes when there's a crowd of people because she wants to blend in. She doesn't want Jesus to even know she's there. And she reaches up and she touches the, the tassel of his garment, the tassel of his cloak, the, the edge, the, the fringe. And it's actually the same turn of phrase, one's in Greek and one's in Hebrew, but the, the commentaries that I've read put them together. It's the same turn of phrase as in Malachi 4, where it says there's healing on the rays of the sun. It's this edge of the light, this tassel. So just by touching her, Jesus is, and he turns around and he says, your faith has healed you, right? There's this moment of her touching the edge and being tied into Malachi where there's healing on the, the, the sun of righteousness rays on the edge of that. So there's healing in the light. So when you look at your life, you can know that, that this light will shine in. It can bring healing to whatever's going on. I think about a time in my life where I was fighting all kinds of, of just mental stuff that it's hard to talk about, right? Because you, you feel kind of crazy, but you're depressed or you're anxious, you're stressed out, and you don't really know why. You know, life, everybody has hard times, and it's hard to kind of figure out what's going on. And I was just in this really what we would call dark place. And, and what happened was I didn't want to talk about it. But then this idea, then I have this words to talk about it now that I've been removed from it for a long time, but there's this sense of there was issues that were broken and they were in the dark. Nobody knew about them. 
So when the light was shined on them, I had a moment where, you know what, I just broke down. I got honest and I talked with my spouse about what was going on and realized, I talked with a group of of men that I was around and, and meeting with, realized that every day I was beating myself up in my head. Like things weren't that bad, but I, I mean, the way that you would never talk to a human being, I was talking to myself that way. This, the, the, it's called negative self-talk, right? <laughs> what counselors, counselors would call it. And there's this sense of I was having these battles, just literally just calling myself garbage, telling myself I didn't, I would be, my family would be better off without me, all these things that was going on in my head. And nobody knew about it. But man, the healing that came when I opened up and the light was shown and people knew about it, it was no longer in darkness. This sin of negative self-talk, and, and maybe it's a sin for me and not for you. I don't really, haven't done the theology on that, right? But there's this moment of I was, I was putting myself down and God was brought light into the situation and that light brought healing. I talked to the people I needed to talk to. I learned different mechanisms to fight that and battle it. And even though it still goes on and there still has to be accountability with that, there was this sense of the light brought healing. So I don't know what it is in your life. There's probably an area or maybe you've experienced before and you've seen where when something is in the dark that's brought into the light, there's healing in that. And so Jesus is saying, I am the light that brings healing. The next thing we see, we keep reading, we see that light brings clarity. You keep reading in the Old Testament. We've talked about the Israelites, God's people wandering through the wilderness. It says in the day they were guided by a cloud, at night by a pillar of fire. Light guided them in the darkness. So there's this sense of of light bringing clarity. It it shows the truth. It shows the way that you're supposed to go. Uh, I think about if anybody in here bad with directions. I'm really bad with directions. Like we, I went to uh, the airport last weekend, right? Getting around the Atlanta airport when you don't know where you're going is a complete nightmare, right? No idea where, I mean, there's a, a ton of different gates. Do you get on this train? Do you get on the sidewalk that is moving, but it's not like an escalator, it's a sidewalk? Like, what do you do, right? And so luckily, I had a guide, my brother, who has traveled with business a lot, and he knew exactly where to go, and knew exactly which line to get in for TSA. He knew, gave me all the, okay, before you get up there, you got to take your shoes off, you got to empty your pockets, hey, you got to have your ID out, your boarding, like he, he showed me the way, right? I was, there was no, I was a little anxious, I was a little worried, because I didn't know what I was supposed to do, but thankfully I had a guide showing me each and every step of the way. That's what the light is for us. A lot of times we might be in a place in life where you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what your next step is, and a lot of times God won't reveal the end goal. He may just reveal the next step for you, but when Jesus says, I am the light, he's pointing to this fact that there there is a light and a direction for where you're supposed to go. This doesn't just apply to like, you know, what decisions you should make in life. It also applies to this sin, right? This darkness. He says that you won't walk in darkness. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. He is the light. He is the lamp unto your feet. He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. John 1, 4, 4 through 5 says that Jesus is the light of all men. It says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness. 
And that darkness has not overcome it. Even if you are being tempted, even if you are in this dark place, God is saying, I shine into that. I provide a way out of that darkness. I'm a lantern to your feet. Follow me. I will provide a way out. So light brings clarity. And the fourth thing I want to point out is that light brings hope. For this one, we go all the way to the end of the Bible. <laughs> all the way to the end. Jesus has come back. He's restored earth. It's the new heaven, the new earth. We are walking in glory. There's no more sin. There's no more heartache. There's no more sorrow. Everything is made perfect in Jesus Christ. And it says in that moment, Revelation 21, 23 says that the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives light. And listen to this. The lamb is the lamp. The lamb is the lamp. In that final day, when everything is made perfect, when everything is restored to formal glory, when the whole earth is like Eden in the beginning, no sin, no heartache, no trials, no sorrow, no grief, no financial troubles, no marriage troubles, all of them, everything is made new. We won't even need the sun because Jesus' light will shine so bright, it will be the lamp for the city. So whenever you're going through, maybe you're in one of those places that isn't sin, but something that we would call darkness, you can know that that's not eternal because in the end, Jesus will make everything right. You always have hope. As a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what's going on, you may be delivered from it today. You may be delivered from it tomorrow, but we always know that the best is yet to come because in the end, everything will be made right in Jesus Christ. So as a follower of Christ, we know that light brings hope. No matter how hopeless you may feel, we know, we have it for sure in the Bible. We know that in the end, Jesus reigns and everything is made right. And that brings hope to every situation, no matter how dark it feels. So we know, we know that light brings life, it brings healing, it brings clarity, and it brings hope. And Jesus is saying, I am that light. And that's why the Pharisees get so mad. Because Jesus is saying, you know what? In Jesus, in me, darkness becomes light. In me, death becomes life. Jesus is the, when we talk about the gospel, we see that it is this light that is all throughout scripture that shines into our life. And it's Jesus that has the power to bring those things. When we say light brings hope and light brings life, we're saying that Jesus brings those things. Jesus cast out the darkness. But the truth is, that's not an easy thing to do. Whenever there's no matter how dark a situation is, no matter how evil and broken it is, God has the power to redeem it. Diane Lanenberg says this. She says, God is capable of redeeming the deepest agony. The deepest agony. He's the most hideous suffering, the pain beyond words, into something that gives life and brings glory to him. I want to read that first part again. God is capable of redeeming the deepest agony, the most hideous suffering, the pain beyond words, into something that gives life and brings glory to him. But make no mistake, the transfiguring of agony cost Christ inestimably. Death does not transform to life 
easily. No matter how agonizing or painful or dark the situation might be, God is so capable of redeeming that situation, but it doesn't transform to life easily. Just look at the cross. Think about what Jesus had to endure to bring life. He had to face death itself. He had to die for life. He had to enter into that darkness to bring the light forth. Jesus, he suffered unimaginably on the cross so that you and I, thousands of years later, can have that experience of moving from darkness into the light, from moving from death into life. That's because of the price that Jesus paid. That's nothing that you can do. There's nothing in your own strength. It's by faith in him that you leave the darkness and enter into the light. Even in our own sanctification, it comes by faith in Jesus. As we're made new, as we're made holy, it's by placing all of us into all of him. And here's the deal. And this was not planned in here, but it's something I read recently. And I think it kind of brings some clarity to that. The fact that you and I are called to give all of us to God, all, every bit of me. But listen, if I look at who I thought I was in college and compared to who I am now, I'm a different person. So as we grow up, as we mature, as we move through life, we learn new stuff about our lives right? And so this being made holy in Christ is, is as we learn new things about us, we, re, we surrender those things to Christ. It's an ongoing growth. It's, it's a moving, it's a progression. So as we know more about me, as I know more about me, I have to surrender more to Jesus. And that's that being made holy. That's that being sanctified in him. And it's the willingness to surrender everything in faith to him that brings that sanctification. And it's not easy it's not easy. That's why, that's why Jesus, we look at the cross and, and when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, you have to pick up your cross and follow him. Move, removing death from your life, removing darkness from your life, a lot of times is a painstaking process. But we're called to do it and it brings light. And so when we look at our life and we look at Jesus claiming to be the light of the world, you have the, you have the power in him because Jesus has the power to leave the darkness and no longer walk in it. And so then that's the question. That's the application for today. If we know that, that darkness brings death and hurt and confusion and hopelessness, but light brings healing and life and hope and clarity, then are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? And, and you know what? It could be salvation. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, if you're not following him, you're walking in darkness. And it's simply by, by following Jesus and placing all of your faith in him that you can begin to walk in light. Uh, I forget the name, but one, one commentary was talking about the fact that a lot of times we look at a shadow and we think that that light causes a shadow right? And Addie Lee loves to, to play shadow puppets where you shine a light on your hand and you can make like a dog or whatever like that, right? And so a lot of times we think the light is causing the shadow, but really the darkness beyond the shadow is because there's something blocking the light. So maybe it's not salvation, but maybe there's something in your life that's blocking the light. Maybe you've got that one room or that one thing that you refuse to surrender. Maybe walking in the light is, is surrendering that one thing, removing the thing that is brought, making the shadow, that's blocking the light from bringing it in. And the last thing to, to know if we are walking in the light is, are you shining bright for all to see? Matthew 5, 
14 says that you are the light of the world. God calls us to shine that light forward. There's another interesting fun fact. We talked about the temple a little bit earlier. Most of the time, the homes relied on candles on the inside or the sun on the outside to bring light into the home. So they, they would design the windows at this angle so that when the sun hit the windows, it would spread out into the, into the home or into the building, whatever it is. Well, in the temple, it's supposed to be God's light into the world. So they actually reversed the direction of the windows. So that if, at all times, there was supposed to be light in the temple. They would, at night, they would have these candles lit, and these candles would shine out into the world, or they built it in a way so that when the sun rose in the east, or when the sun rose for them, it would shine in, and then it would go out of the windows into the world. So the temple was like this icon of always being the light into the world. So as we look at our own lives, and we look at how we're living out, we are supposed to, to shine the light. Jesus is supposed to shine through us. That's the Holy Spirit shining through you into your community. So if you're walking in the light, you have to understand that that it requires some action. It requires loving your neighbor. It requires sacrifice. You know, we're starting this thing. We have a box over here where now it's a real practical way that you can bring some groceries and put in the box and Revive can be that light into the world by providing something for our neighbor. It's something that has to happen in community. One of the things that we're going to be doing going forward, we're going to create these groups where we'll meet and we'll talk because that's where I talked about the healing that came from, from letting the light in for my life. It came from being in communication. It became being in relationship with the, a Christ-centered community. You can't do this alone. The Holy Spirit shines through you and you are supposed to be a light to your neighbor. So are you walking in the light? Is it a salvation thing? Is there a shadow that needs to be cast out? Are you being a light for all to see? Ask yourself those questions and see if there's something that Jesus needs to do to be the light of the world so that you no longer walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the light of life. I pray that you will illuminate any area of our life that needs to be surrendered to you. I pray that you will mold and transform us, that we can walk in the light of the world, that we will have the healing and the hope that comes from your presence. Holy Spirit, live through us, shine through us. Let us be a beacon of hope for our community as we love and serve our neighbor. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.